Children are a crushing responsibility. All right, that's right, folks. We are back, and we're going to talk about the crushing responsibility that is parenthood and motherhood in particular, something clearly I know so much about. Um, and we're covering the new Netflix movie, The Lost Daughter, and all things Elena Ferrante. Joining me on this exploration of whether it's possible to be both a mom and a fully functioning successful academic on this episode of the Insatiable Content Podcast is none other than my good friend and colleague, the good Dr. Kate, you better not steal my daughter's dolls and lie about it, Babineau. Thanks so much for joining, Kate. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. What a great intro. Thanks. Sure. I'm on a podcast. Sure. I mean, Kate, Kate and I work together and we've also both had a long love of Elena Ferrante. And so we have been talking about her for a long time. Um, and so when this movie came out, I figured it was a great opportunity to have you come on the pod, Kate. This should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm always excited to talk about the crushing responsibility that is and our children or motherhood. Um, and also always here to talk about anyone who's willing to like show those tensions um, in what I think is like an honest and nuanced light. So excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so let me just give a little context because this isn't, you know, the biggest blockbuster movie of all time. So a lot of people probably haven't heard of it. Um, the Lost Daughter was directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's based on an Elena Ferrante novel. She's also the author of the My Brilliant Friends series. She's a famously reclusive Italian author who has written under a pen name her whole career, though a few years ago someone did try to out her and establish her identity in an article that got a lot of internet pushback at the time. But that's just some context for this movie, which deals with many of the themes of Ferrante's work. Um, Gyllenhaal changed the location from the Italian coast in the book to a Greek island in the movie, but the themes of the story remain the same in a lot of sense. Coleman is an academic who goes on vacation by herself in Greece. The audience is given no backstory at first. It's sort of like unmooring, and it's sort of almost creepy. Um, We only come to understand who she is and why she's there gradually through flashbacks to her earlier life brought on by sort of incited by the people she meets on her vacation. Um, One of these people is Dakota Johnson, um, a young mom, that is the actress playing her, um, who plays Nina um, in the movie. She's a young mom who is with a uh, small child, small girl, with a seemingly overbearing or possibly even abusive husband. And Coleman's character, Lita, and her begin a weird sort of intimacy that's predicated on Coleman's own experience as a mom, um, who is also trying to establish her identity as an independent adult woman. Um, Anyway, that's, I think, enough plot and context. Kate, let's actually talk, jump into actually talking about the movie. What did you think of this? As I know you're such a big fan of Ferrante like me, just in general. Yeah, I mean, I I love Ferrante. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal, too. She's one of the few celebrities I've seen IRL once walking over the Brooklyn (laughs) Bridge. I was, like, really fangirling. Um, And also, I would, like, same thing. I would watch Olivia Coleman like, paint a wall. Like, it's like, they were like, here's four hours of, like, Olivia Coleman painting a wall on Netflix. I would log in. So, like, all of the elements were right for me. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of knew what to expect. I hadn't actually read this book before diving in, but, like, knowing what I know about Ferrante and like the themes of motherhood and the title and, you know, the trailer. Um, And I had read an interview with Maggie Gyllenhaal ahead of time. And she was saying that the reason she made it was that she was tired of seeing like only 75% of her experience of motherhood 
portrayed on screen. Like she was like, I want something that shows like the shame and the guilt and like the horror. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, I have a three-year-old. So I was like, let's, let's dive in. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think overall I would say I loved it. And I have lots of friends who don't have children who were like, this movie sucked. Like, why was it? Like, really, like, like good friends of mine were just like, I got nothing from it. It was so boring. It just went on forever. So I do think, like, it is it is colored for me, at least, by my own experience of parenting and currently parenting a small child and mothering a small child that is, like, making this um, really salient for me. And I think that's such a good point. Maybe it's just a movie for parents, which is definitely not true, I would say, of her other work. Like, the My Brilliant mm-hmm. Friends series, I think, can resonate with anyone. And I've recommended that series of books to a lot of friends who have ended up loving it. But but I, I guess what I would say about this is like, yeah, may, maybe it is. I remember like before I had kids, I remember I had a boss who would be like, hey, can't come into work today, have a sick day, gonna be working from home. And I'll be like, my kid's sick, I gotta work from home. And be like, what, why, what, what is going on? Why can't you just come to work? And like, it's like mm-hmm. now that I have kids, I'm like, oh my God, the amount of like, the amount of crushing responsibility they bring to your life is just amazing. Like they change everything. And so I do think there is an element of like, we, we don't, but the thing I love to your point though about it is there are many, many things about being a parent that are great, but like studies show have shown over and over and over again. And I mentioned it before on a podcast. I just read this book, The Sweet Spot, which talks about this. Parenting does not make yeah. you happy, right? Yeah. Parenting yeah. Can provide fulfillment in other ways, but it is not something that makes people happier based on a lot of statistics. And no one ever seems to talk about the fact that, like, parenting can just be really hard, like, not in a, like, even a day to day logistic way, but like, I'm sure, you know, you and I have talked about this during COVID. We both care about, like, what we do as professional adults. It's not just something to, like, do on the side while we're raising children. And it's really hard to juggle those two things and not feel like you're failing at both all the time. Yeah. And I think, like, what I love about this, and actually, I will say, I have a, I have a friend who doesn't have children who decided to not have children and was so happy when she watched this film. <laughs> I was like, good for you. Um, you know, so, like, I think for women who, like, who might find themselves to be quote unquote, like unnatural mothers as Olivia Coleman says in this, um, which I think, uh, fair enough, like, all right, like she doesn't really like fit the, um, like the idea of what a natural mother would be uh, in this film. But I, I, what I like about it is that it makes that experience a little more normalized, right? Um, And, like Lita, her name in this film, and also like Linu, like all of like Ferrante's women all have like variations on like Lena, Nina, exactly, Lina, Elena. Like their names are you know like all all on that that space. But um, like Linu and Lida, yeah, both are just you know these women who are trying so desperately to like carve out a tiny space for themselves. And like sure, aspects of it are professional, but like when I was watching it, it wasn't just professional. That was just them being like who am I? How do I retain any semblance of identity? Um, and one thing I love about Ferrante and she does, you know, like Gyllenhaal carried through on this in the film, the men are not expected to follow suit. Right. You exactly. know what I loved about this movie? Like Ed Harris is like on the Island, right. He's just been living there for 30 years and he like sends his kid like a bike or something, or like taught him how to swim or something. And Olivia Coleman's like, Oh, they, they, you must've been a great father, right. These digs like Dakota Johnson's husband swoops in every weekend. Right. You know, he, he's, he's absent. And then when he shows up, he's menacing and maybe abusive, but he's not there. Right. 
only redeemable dude character in this film is Connell from Normal People, <laughs> the Irish dude. Uh, and even he, he's sort of, you know, he's yeah, exactly. He's trying to get his rocks off a lot. So he's getting his rocks off, but like whatever, you know, he's on like J one visa from Dublin uh, in Greece. So I was giving him a pass. Um, he's going back to Marianne or whatever. Well, but yeah, I mean, a, how can you not give and, Connell a pass? He's he's no, this no, is the no. best character, TV character for a, a, a while now. Yes, <laughs> you should do an episode on normal people at some stage, but. I, should. Um, I mean, like Ferrante does this really well and she does it really well in a brilliant friend too, which is just this idea that like women often um, and mothers in particular, like are expected to like, you know, fit their lives into this box and like the demands that are placed on them in the early years of parenting a child are just like so intense um, that, and you know, men aren't held to the same standard. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's part like I can't have a career and it's also part like I am like suffocating, and if yep. I don't carve out this space, like I will lose my mind, right? You see, and and they they don't just give them the right off pass of like I want to leave my children, um, I don't love my children. Like these are women who like grapple with it and they come back, right? Yep. Like her character comes back, um, like Linu's character and brilliant friend comes back. Like it's not that their life is great once they leave their kids. You know that they are still just like gripped with like guilt and shame and like questioning, but they, they felt like it was the only thing they could do to like survive and stay alive. Um, so anyways, I, I just think they captured that pretty well in this film. I, I couldn't agree more. And to me, it's, again, it's like all about this idea of like, you, there are no right choices in this, right? It's all a sacrifice. And it's almost, you know, like, you know, the famous Borges thing of like the Garden of the Forking Pass, like whichever one you go down, there are going to be negatives and positives. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, like, you know, you it, it's also one of those things where you can't really know what being a parenting parent is like until you are actually a parent. And like, mm-hmm. I remember when um, my, before my first kid was born, Nori Kay was born. I, I remember very distinctly, I was talking to my boss and being like, oh yeah, I'll just work from home. Um, you know, I don't need to take off all like six weeks of uh, paternity leave. I'm sure I want to do work. And then like the kid comes and you're like, holy fuck, I had no, and she was like, you're not gonna be able to juggle both. And I was like, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then it comes and you're like, oh, I didn't realize what it was like to like, yeah. and I'm not a woman, right? Like I'm not the one actually like feeding the child on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. and having to like utterly devote my existence to the point where I can't even like take a shower, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and the day is all gone. And so I I think that's one of the best things I take away from all of Ferrante's work is just that like to, if you like, if you want to be who, like what it feels authentic to you to be in terms of like a career and you have kids, like that's going to mean sacrifices and Mm -hmm you're never gonna make everyone happy, including yourself. And does yeah. that, and you know, she describes herself in this movie as a, like, as selfish. She's, yeah. you know, at one point, which I think is like a great a, a amount of self-awareness, but also it's like, is she self, like there was a question, is she a bad mother? Is she selfish? Because she's ultimately like really trying to split this divide that's sort of like, there's no no right way to do it. Yeah. And like to that point, there was like Ferrante had this article in The Guardian years ago, um, whoever she is, but like under her pen name. And the first line of it is just 
I was a terrible mother, period. I was a great mother. Period. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, that's it, right? I just think that like, it, it, to, to you know, it's so reductive to be like, are you a good mother? Are you a bad mother? It, like you're both, you know? Like there's times where you're good, there's times where you're bad. Like obviously, you know, I, I, um, I don't know like what Lita's grown children would say about her, like, but they suggest throughout the film that they're still in touch, right? And. I think that that aspect of it was also really interesting that now that her children are grown, she seems to really delight in them every time they call her. Um, and, you know, the the film ends with her on, you know, I don't give away too much. I don't know if we're like doing spoilers. but I like, mean, it's not a spoiler know. to say she's on a phone call with her kids at the end. Yeah, you know, it, the, the, it ends with her on the phone with her grown children um, seemingly delighted to be on the phone with them, right? Yep. Um, and I think... I was happy with that ending and I was happy knowing that like her, you don't end up hating this character. Right. And that's another, and a lot of that is because Olivia Coleman is so good. Um, and, and the writing allowed her to be, you know, nuanced and vulnerable. And but like that scene with her and Connell, except his name wasn't Connell in the film, whatever it was. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He will always be Connell he in our hearts. Connell to me. <laughs> can do nothing else. You know, like you just you see her as and her, you know, the, her younger version of herself, too. And and interestingly, like the men are are, are secondary. And, yeah. you know, she, she has affairs and she has a husband. She has all this. But it really is. It's her journey with her herself and her own identity and, and trying to just, you know, I guess, live a life that feels authentic to her um, without children, you know, just constantly physically being on her body all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's so funny because it's like you, as a parent, you go from this moment where you're just like absolutely in love with your kid and you're cuddling with them to like that moment where they should, I think they depict it really well in this movie of just like, sometimes you're just like, I just want my body to myself for just a minute. Right. Like no one touching me, like Mm -hmm. no one like spitting on me, no, no other person's bodily fluids on me. And, um, it's like one of those things where it's like at the same time you love your kids to death, but man, like there's yeah. just, there's no boundaries ever. It's always like, yes, and yes, and, and like, I think in this film, there's all these scenes kind of early on where like Olivia Coleman's on the beach and like Dakota Johnson's there. And like, obviously like Dakota Johnson's like a babe and she's just like, I'm a babe on the beach. Um, and like the, the cinematography is really close, right? It's just yeah. like, it's like Dakota Johnson's like hips and like, you know, like, like the hair is like coming off her neck. And um, I, as I was watching that, like I was thinking that it was more about like the feeling when you have a young child and specifically you're like in my, like I'm a birth mother. So like, I'm thinking about it from that space, how nothing on your body is yours. So just like nothing. for all of yep. these years, like you just like the, the level of physical intimacy, like I feel with my child because she's always on my body, yeah. um, <laughs> you know? And like, you just don't. And then I was imagining, I was watching that scene and thinking there will be a time in my life where like, presumably I'll have to be like, I mean, would you give me a hug? Right. You know, like we're like, she will, that will stop. Yeah. And then that, that experience will become foreign to me. Um, and I will go on and I will have other physical experiences. And then perhaps I will see a younger mother going through it and it will come back. Right. Like, what did that feel like? That specific feeling of like your body, not being yours, your space, not being yours like that kind of claustrophobic but also like incredibly intimate thing you know like it's beautiful and it's terrible um and so for me like the the kind of like what almost felt like it was like sexual or intimate tension to me felt more like olivia coleman like 
getting back in touch with this younger version of herself and her body and like what it felt like physically um, to be a young mother. But absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think it's really powerful the way they do that. One thing I was thinking of, too, in this as I was watching it, I don't know if you read it, but there was this article about Janet Lansbury, who has this parenting podcast Mm -hmm. that's pretty popular. The article is in The New Yorker and the article ends It's basically her approach to parenting is like you're not trying to like provide positive affirmations all the time to your kid that they're the best or things like that. You are trying to validate their feelings, but hold very firm boundaries with them, too, and be like, I hear that this upsets you at the same time. It -hmm. is what's going to happen. But it ends with this thing about, you know, there are so many different books written about parenting and uh, parenting approaches, but land and no one knows actually if any of these are actually effective because at the end of the day there's so much nurture there's as much nature and nurture in in any of this and like you just can't tell like where your your parenting begins and your kids identity or where your parenting ends and your kids identity begins but it's like lansbury's whole approach was you do these things and not so that you are a perfect parent, but so that you have the relationship with your kids that you want later in life. And to me, yeah. I thought that was so interesting, reflecting on the way the movie ends, where it's like, you know, if I, my, if one of my parents had left me to pursue like an affair and like her uh, career of her own at like a formative age, like happens in this movie, I don't know how I'd feel as an adult. I probably, mm-hmm. I might feel a ton of resentment, but at the end of the day, she's on the phone with them laughing and has a, a very deep bond with them, which I thought was pretty fascinating you know like how we end up with these relationships even though everyone's path with their parents and their families is and as a parent is different yeah and i do think that like that scenario that you just outlined is one that has been taken by men and fathers Mm -hmm. forever yeah it is (laughs) i mean like you know i'm I'm the product of my father's second marriage you know like my parents divorced when i was young you know and and you know you you just give them a pass at some stage you're like "Eh, yeah my dad i love him right and that like Historically, you don't really bat an eye typically when when it's a man that does that, and it's um, it, that's where Ferrante really gets in there and like just kind of like really digs it out. Yeah. <laughs> She's just kind of like, and like what happens when a woman does that, and why do we all feel so uncomfortable, she, right? Um, She's yeah. literally just acting like a man in this, like it, yeah. that, like yes, this is the narrative. This is a narrative where if it was like. A, 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 it was a male character be like, oh, we've seen this a hundred times. Oh, exactly. the, I'm, you know, I'm make, trying to make up for lost time or something like that, yeah. you know, but yeah. with a yeah. woman, it's, it's like so, so different. Yeah. I mean, it shakes people to the core. Like it, there's like, this movie has like shook people, you know, Yeah, <laughs> which says a lot. It um, does. And it says a lot about like Ferrante's willingness to write it and like Maggie Gyllenhaal's willingness to direct it. And, yeah. I, I'm just happy that they're out there doing it. I agree. Um, so I, I want to tie in the themes of this movie to mm-hmm. Ferrante, Ferrante's larger um, like mm-hmm. canon. That being said, before we leave this like specifically entirely, the movie sort of has this like I would compare it to Midsommar, uh, like yeah. a creepiness where nothing made but nothing really major happens plot wise. Other than the fact that not to give like a spoiler away because this is happens at the beginning of the movie. But Coleman steals the doll of yeah. Dakota Johnson's child and refuses to acknowledge that she's stolen it, lies about it and keeps it and sleeps with it like every night. Mm-hmm. What did you make of that? I, I mean, I, it felt like very, very much. It was like, you know, like you're back in your like college lit class and it's like, here is an example of symbolism. And then, you know, like right. the worm, a literal worm comes out of the um, 
I think it was a worm, maybe it was a snake, comes Black out. Or something. Yeah, yeah, something gross comes out of the doll at some point as she's trying to like, when she's like opening it up. Like, clearly we're dealing with like a metaphor symbolism here. What did you yeah. take that to mean? I mean, I went back and forth. Like like you said, there was a part where I was just like, the symbolism's like really just like beating me a little too hard over the head. Um, like, I, I thought it was a few different things. Like, number one, I do think that, like, Lita's character didn't even really know why she was doing it, which I thought was interesting. Like, I yep. feel like she, like, took it, but it wasn't, like, really motivated. I was thinking that maybe initially she took it because she had enjoyed, like, being the savior in that moment and was looking forward to, like, being the savior again in, a, in another moment, right? Like, these kind of little moments of redemption where, like, in an earlier scene, like, the child had gone missing, a, a, a kid got lost, and yep. Olivia Coleman's found the kid, right? And yep. everyone was so grateful. Oh my God, he found it. So like, I was like, all right, maybe she's trying to like do that again. Um, and maybe that was the intention. Um, you know, I, like the symbolism with like the doll stuff from her childhood, I thought that was a little overkill. Uh, agreed. Like I had a hard time believing that that's what it was really about. Like I, I would think based on this character that was presented to me, she took it thinking later she would give it back so that people could be like, oh, you gave it back. And then she decided like, you know what, fuck it, what's going to happen if I just keep this thing? You know, um, but then was like still feeling guilty like about taking it and like just layered with the guilt of, you know, like her own parenting experience and, you know, the feelings just like kind of she's projecting those feelings onto this doll, you know, and it, like this particular situation gets bigger than it needs to be, but that's because it's actually about, you know, this, this other thing that's happening behind the curtains. Absolutely. Um, and I, that scene where like Ed Harris comes over and finds the doll, like, it was like, this is what was interesting about it. Like, it's not a thriller, but that was so tense. Like, oh my was, God. Like, I know. So tense. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's gonna get caught. She's, she's gonna, gonna get, get caught. caught. Also, the family's like mafiosos or something, right? Like the suggestion is that something. they're like Jersey mafia. Yeah. And at the same time, you're sitting there being like, she's gonna get caught for taking a baby, like a baby. Yeah. Exactly. Like she didn't murder anyone. Like <laughs> exactly. It's just funny. I uh, yeah. So I'm glad. I it confused me. The the sleeping with it definitely seemed like you know almost like a childlike regression towards like or, or a regression towards something in her past and wanting to mm -hmm. like find that sentiment of maybe motherhood or even being a child herself. Um, yeah. That being said, like, even though it is ambiguous and I'm not sure either you or you or I are like settling on a firm thing that we think it is like, I think it's really effective. Like, you know, it's yeah. like very thought provoking and it's, again, it's weird how much this, how affecting I found this movie given how little happened. Um, but l l let me ask you. So like, as we tie this in, you and I both read the Neapolitan, I always say this wrong, but Neapolitan series, my brilliant mm -hmm. friend series, ha like the major themes in that, there's so many themes in that. And, you know, it's like mm -hmm. friendship, but there's also like, I'd say for me, the overriding one was like the impact and effects of overarching, uh, 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 overarching theme was like generational trauma and how that affects mm -hmm. us down through the years. Mm -hmm. How do you see that? if at all, tying into the themes of this, because like I see so many parallels in some of the things with like female independence and parenthood and like the weight and the burden um, that that puts on us. But like, do you see the tr the like generational trauma that I think is in there in a lot of her other work in this? I mean, I feel like the reason that's so like effective in My Brilliant Friend is because you're like following those characters over time. Um, so you like meet them when they're children and as they get older, right? You can really see, you watch children become parents. So then the generational stuff really is like on display. Um, 
like I feel like in this there's the suggestion of it but it, like, I think it's a very intentional like it's very intentional that we don't know anything about her adult daughters yep. right you know like you can see when they're young like they're they're traumatized by like their mother leaving right um and and they're same with Linu's character right like they're uh in my brilliant friend the kids are withdrawing you know they're as, as you know it's not like one day the mother suddenly decides to leave she's slowly 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 separating herself detaching herself from her children before she makes the decision to leave um and they they feel that um so yeah, I, I felt you know obviously I felt the motherhood theme like really strong uh, with the other Ferrante works like the complexity of just like female relationships right intergenerational yes. female yes. relationships um, friendships what have you even this kind of like you know mother or like uh, nurturer role that Lita takes with Dakota Johnson's character right and actually like the best scene in that is like at the end where she's like it doesn't go away right like yeah. it's like this moment where she thinks she's gonna try to you know tell Dakota Johnson that that things are going to be okay. And you realize, no, she's, she's not going to like give her a pass on this. Um, and then like, I don't know, I feel like Ferrante is all about capitalism and like how yeah. inescapable it is and like how it like rots everything from the core. Um, and same with, you know, kind of like morality and just like this idea that like, you can't escape any of it. Like you, you take these different paths and you think things are going to go a good way or a bad way, or like, look, this child grows up to do this and this child grows up to do this. And both of them, are flawed and complex and neither of them are particularly happy, right? Like no one gets a pass in Ferrante's work. No, like, no one, no one's happy. <laughs> no, everyone is miserable no matter what path they take. And every time you think they're going to end up, you know, like maybe on a better path, like they, they, they don't. Um, so that's the main theme. <laughs> yeah. And, and not to sound like a member of the dirtbag left here, but like, I think yeah. that is really because she is so deeply pessimistic about late stage capitalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, definitely. this is like, you're trying to find yourself as an individual when in actuality, like you, you, the only way to change anything is if you change the system and you can't mm -hmm. do that. And so it's like, it's yeah. interesting. I think of the comparison, like some of the stuff that I really bothers me in like contemporary culture, culture is like, I don't know, someone like Brene Brown, where it's all about like, you fix yourself, like fix about how you're feeling about this and things like that, rather than being like, well, there's only so much you can do. It's like telling someone who's depressed that it's like, well, you know, cheer up. It's like, yeah, well, the world is really fucking bad. Like if, if yeah. you are deeply depressed because the world is like in an imminent collapse because of global warming, like you're not wrong, right? Like no. you, yeah. you are you're being not. rational and not like cowering in, in ignorance. And so like, it's okay to feel that way and you don't need to necessarily change. And like capitalism, like just tells us like, well, you have to change, you have to adapt. And like, you just need to like make more money or do whatever and then you'll be happier. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think that it's just that that return to just the base kind of existential dread yeah. is really the, the Ferrante theme that I felt strongly in both of these. That, that and the motherhood theme, obviously. For sure. And, and, and then to me, there's also this theme of, it reminds me of James Joyce's Dubliners, which I, I read when I was younger and saw the movie and really liked, but this idea that like, you think you know someone that you're with and intimate with at all times, but you don't really ever know that person. And on top of that, we don't really ever know ourselves. Like, I, yeah. I think to your point earlier that I found powerful is like, I'm not sure Olivia Coleman's character in this movie fully knows why she has the baby, right? Like, yeah. but she's yeah. not gonna give that baby up. And then it just yeah. is there and it's like going on and it's, 
harder to give up yeah. with each passing day because then you will seem very strange that like you had this baby all this time. And so in this and in the same way in the My Brilliant Friends series is like the whole thing is about a friendship over decades. And at the end, there's the, like I I'm not going to read it all here, but there's this brilliant passage where she just like realizes she doesn't really know her. And we as the audience also have that meta level where we're like, you also are completely like an unreliable narrator. And so yeah. your assessment of this is wrong. Your conclusions are all wrong and you don't also know yourself. So like, it's a very, like she's a very postmodern writer without it being feeling like you're reading Thomas Pynchon or Don DeLillo, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I think that what I appreciate too, and I see in this and I see in my brilliant friend and like based on the little that we know about Ferrante, like, I mean, she's written articles about motherhood. She's written articles about writing. She, you know, you just think that so much of what she's probably bringing to this is drawn from her own experiences, um, which is something that um, makes me f not necessarily feel close to her, but just like appreciates like her vulnerability and that she's out there like doing this, right? Yeah. That, like if and when, like, you know, obviously like under a pseudonym, because if there's anywhere where like the patriarchy is alive and well, it's like Italy. Oh my God. Yes. Anywhere where like the sanctity of motherhood is still just like held up, like, oh my God, it's like in the Western world, Italy is like right at the. It's what, the, Kate, it's why I want to move there. It's why, you know, yeah. I gotta, I gotta be with my people. <laughs> It's just, I mean, like Italy's great and like, yeah, the patriarchy thrives. Um, but yeah, it's um, uh, all in all, like I thought, I thought the film was, was really, I don't know. I found it moving. Um, I found it disturbing. Um, and then I found it disturbing that I found it disturbing. Right. You know, it was just yeah. like all of those layers of, of that. And I was grateful that um, both like Maggie Gyllenhaal and Ferrante have like given me that experience. Well, and I just always appreciate that any piece of art when that's dealing with parenting that doesn't paint it with this like rosy glowed patina that like yeah. everything always is happy and cheery and like, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, it's so cute when you're like running late for a meeting and then your child spills yogurt all over your outfit, you know, mm -hmm. like, no, some yeah. moments are just not going to be that fun. Right. And yeah. Yeah. you love them and you would do anything for them. But also like it is a tremendous sacrifice. And the idea, yeah. I don't know if it's because she's Italian and, you know, there's a heavy Catholic influence to mm -hmm. her ideology. But this idea of sacrifice both mm -hmm. to people in our lives that we have to make to ourselves and like our own desires, but also like maybe, you know, what we have to give up to be in the places that we are from or what we owe them and like sort of what we owe those around us and ourselves is I think a theme too that I see played out in both this work and certainly in My Brilliant Friend where she you know yeah. she can never quite leave Naples um, yeah. and and obviously um, it, Naples is as much a character as anyone else in those those yeah. stories yeah yeah exactly well, anything else um, about this? I think we both really liked it. I think it's not something that I would recommend to anyone, but or everyone. But I like mm -hmm. any anyone who's like at all had relationships with children. I think it's a deeply moving, good movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's well worth the watch, right? Um, I think it's well worth the watch. Um, great. Well, I'm. I haven't done this in a while, but since you're on here, I'm going to do my three little uh, segments here at the end: um, the mm -hmm. trust the process, sink into the couch, and poop the bed segment. So we can get through these real quick. But the first is trust the process, um, which for new listeners of the show is just like a strong recommendation of something that I'm really enjoying right now. And I got to say, there are so many good movies on HBO Max right now. It is. 
it makes me very happy to log on there when I'm going on to watch something else. And not just movies, shows too, but like they have the epic collections, like the Oceans series and the Harry Potter series. And the Harry Potter series is just like what my children want to watch all the time. Um, but then they have like a lot of the movies that they're now, because they're all owned by Warner, are coming out first there. So like I just watched um, The Last Duel, which Kate, at some point, like I, if you've seen it, I would love to get your impression on that I too. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list. It's it's fascinating because, you know, it's a very old man directing Jodie Comer, Adam Driver, mm-hmm. Matt Damon, and Ben, Fla- ben Affleck in a middle-aged, uh, or a uh, movie set in the Middle Ages about rape in which we're yeah. getting like a Rashomon story where we get Adam Driver's version, we get Matt Damon's version, and then finally Jodie Comer's version. And Ridley Scott makes it very clear, Jodie Comer's version is the right version. Um, yeah. And she was raped. There is no uh, discussion about it. But it's just sort of like a fascinating movie. Um, it's unlike anything I've seen in a while. And so weird that it's like set in the Middle Ages and it's based yeah. sort of on a real story. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's like again one of those things where it's like I want other people to watch this so that I can talk to them about it, even though I'm not sure if I l- loved it. But it's definitely worth seeing. Um, yeah, it's on it's on my list. Well, I let me know once you watch it, and then there are, like there's a whole Ben Affleck renaissance on there. I I can watch The Town every night. I love that movie, so that's on there. But yeah, just in general, I think HBO Max is killing it right now. The Righteous Gemstones are back. We've talked about all the other shows. Euphoria has come back. It's to me, it blows my mind the level of quality that HBO brings, both in their original programming and other things. And that's not me trying to be a still a, a stooge here for like a corporation. Um, but man, they it, when it comes to content, they are spot on. The only one to skip is the Sex and the City reboot. <laughs> yeah, well, if you skip the first one, <laughs> you you don't need to even think about skipping the second. But yes, agreed. Yeah. Um, my sink into the couch segment, which is like if you really need something good to watch and like mesmerize yourself in late at night when you possibly have had an edible, would be um, the Velvet Underground documentary from Todd Haynes that is now streaming on Apple Plus. I like music doc- documentaries. Kate, you uh, recommended the one on the Talking Heads um, that is like a classic one. I'm completely blanking on the names right now. Stop making sense. Yes, yeah, stop making sense. Yeah. Thank you. Um, which. It's just fantastic, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen that one. But this one is really good because it's done by Todd Haynes, who is famous for doing um, the biopic on uh, Bob Dylan in a very creative way, in which he had so many actors of um, all genders playing Bob Dylan and really innovative. This is a very innovative documentary um, in the way it's produced, in the way they tackle the development of the band, The Velvet Underground, and so many other things. And to me, um, it's a it's very nonlinear, and it brings in a lot of the context of the time that the music was pro- being produced in, and also just like why they were doing what they were doing. I mean, it really does a lot at the beginning with sort of the atonal note, uh, music movement, uh, or just like the non, I don't even know what you would call it, of like John Cage. I know there's like, you know, where it's just silence for extended periods mm-hmm. of time and how much that influenced uh, a lot of the what went into making the Velvet Underground and considering that it's also a band like I knew about the Velvet Underground when I was growing up because every band you know that wanted to sound cool when they would be interviewed in spin every band that I was listening to was like yeah my influence is the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. um, so it's cool to see where that came from and it's a really well produced documentary cool 
Yeah. Um, Kate, any recommendations from you of stuff that you haven't covered that you think people should be watching or seeing? I mean, I told you this the other day, but I was really into Yellow Jackets. I know. So, um, it's next on my list. You get into Yellow Jackets. It's there. It was awesome. Camp Horror. Um, really fun. And Todd Haynes also directed Carol, one of my favorite films <laughs> of the 20th century. So, <laughs> go out there and see it. It's beautiful. It holds up. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And then final thing, I think, Kate, you and I can both agree on this as New Orleans residents. We get to bitch about Mardi Gras during COVID. Um, yeah. The city, this is my poop the bed segment. And that is like the city has decided to continue to have Mardi Gras, obviously. Uh, thank God, because we have missed it. But doing it in a completely illogical fashion in which we are making the roots shorter, meaning that people will be more compressed into mm-hmm. smaller amounts of space as and posing this as if it's some sort of COVID precaution or reaction to COVID. So it all makes no sense to me. And if you're going to actually try to do something to make people safe, I just would love a little bit of logic, but I think that's too much to ask in this case or anything related to the city we both live in. Yeah, absolutely. Makes no sense. (laughs) Well, hopefully we will still both be out there on Mardi Gras day dressed up in our costumes um, because yours are always good. I know that for a fact. I try. <laughs> well, Kate, um, thank you so much for joining me. Love to have you back again to talk about motherhood and maybe something uh, a little less depressing in the future. Yeah, Yellow Jackets, bring me back. I will. I will. I absolutely <laughs> will. And uh, this has uh, been another episode of the Insatiable Content Podcast. Thanks for listening and go watch The Lost Daughter.